0: Good to be with you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have little ones through uh, grade 4 and they'd like to be in you'd like them to be in children's church, you can dismiss them now to uh, the foyer. Teachers will take it from there. Thank you those who serve children's church faithfully each day. Uh, we're here grateful for your ministry. The rest of you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you would, we uh, We'll read the whole passage today, the entire chapter, just to reset us to where we are in the passage. Keys to lasting ministry and a fulfilled life, in particular navigating the difficulties is where we've been, and so I'd like you to look there if you would. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 18. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. Verse 2, But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness the power will be of God and not from ourselves verse 8 we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not despairing verse 9 persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed verse 10 always carrying about in the body of the, the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body verse 11 for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh So death works in us, but life in you, verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed; therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing, verse 14, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you, verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Over the last several weeks, we have been looking at this chapter, this section of Paul's letter that has to do with lasting ministry. Last week, we began to look at the keys Paul gives us from his own life that have to do with navigating difficult times. Paul says in verse 11, he says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. And some of those times, those difficult times, are very difficult indeed. David Barrett, researcher, uh, the late researcher, puts the number of Christians martyred since the time of Jesus at 70 million. Get your mind around that. It puts the number of Christians systematically exterminated by Nazi Germany at a million, while the number of Orthodox Christians and others murdered in Russia between 1917 and 1950 at 15 million. In China, at least 200,000 Christians and foreigners were killed in the Boxer Rebellion of 1898 to 1900. Another 700,000 were killed in communist China between 1950 and 1980. The number of Catholics killed in Mexico from the late 1800s to 1930 is estimated at 107,000, while 300,000 Christians are believed to have been killed under Idi Amin in Uganda between 1971 and 1979. Estimates of the number of Christians killed annually for their faith today differ massively depending on who you look at, but Todd Johnson at the Center for a Study of Global Christianity puts the number of Christians martyred annually at 100,000. Elizabeth Elliott, a name you probably remember, she passed away in 2015 at the age of 89, whose husband was killed at the hands of the Aka Indians he was trying to reach, lists six scriptural answers she's found that answer the question why before it can be dwelt on by those who are suffering persecution in difficult times. I'd like to show you a few of those just as we enter our time together, chapter 11, uh, chapter, uh, verse 11 and on. First Peter 4.12 is one of those places, and you can have a takeaway there in your notes if you're interested. If you are interested in preparing yourself for difficult times, or perhaps you're going through them, I hope this is an encouragement to you. First Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Really, I think Elizabeth wants people to understand, you know, it's not a strange thing that we should have difficult times, so we shouldn't be surprised at it. I think that's the main takeaway. We shouldn't be surprised that difficult times come on you as if somehow Christianity was supposed to... Uh, um, place a barrier around and insulate you from difficult times, particularly when we share in the sufferings of Jesus. And when the world picks up with you where they left off with Jesus, you can really bank on some vindication. In other words, someday when Jesus is shown to be who he really is, that's at the revelation of Jesus, your rejoicing will know no bounds. You rejoice now and hope that someday your rejoicing will know no bounds. And So it's a marvelous verse that she has. Elliot uh, also relied on Romans 5.3, which we looked at last week. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and we saw that word uh, tribulation is that pressing pressure. She understood and accepted that the Lord was up to something in her life, and if nothing else, when we're going through difficult times, you can be sure that the Lord is up to something in your life, when you're struggling with something, when something is, seems too hard, but something is un, uh, there's a question that you don't have answered, you know the Lord is up to something. 2 Corinthians 12.9 is another one that she, she mentions to people. She, uh, it's, a look, it's a passage we'll look at in the course of our study. Verse 9 says, And he has said, and he has said to me, Great, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So Elliot was okay with being weak because it just made the power of Christ so much more visible. We've looked at that before hard to assimilate that into our lives. If you're used to trying to be strong, somehow that's an illusion you have uh, that you're strong. Uh, she knew she held the wonderful treasure and power of the gospel in a common, frail, earthen vessel. Uh, Paul made that clear, and she understood it. Uh, John 14.31 is another one that she had written down, but so is, you may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And Elliot understood Jesus' statement here as he approached his suffering. She wanted the world to know that she would go through whatever the Lord had ordained for her to go through because salvation and obedience are inextricably linked. Did you catch that? Mark that, beloved. Salvation and obedience are inextricably linked. In fact, they're used interchangeably a number of times. I've shown you that in parallel many, many times. But she, so she was willing, and that's what Jesus' answer to uh, his disciples was. Why would you go through this? Why would you have to do this? May it never be that you'd be sacrifice may it never be that you be crucified he says listen i want the world to know that i love my father so i do exactly as the father commanded me and so elliot just said you know this is the way if nothing else just be obedient whatever the lord has to go you to go through this is what he has you to go through she also encouraged herself and others from romans eight seventeen, which says and if children heirs also heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ if we indeed if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be we may also be glorified with him in other words, we've been adopted into our heavenly family. We are fellow heirs with Jesus. And then uh, she understood that by way of that family relationship, your family relationship, mine, with Jesus himself, we'll be given opportunity to suffer with Jesus so we can be glorified with him. So there's a very simple connection there. By the, f- the, by the family connection you have to the Lord and to Jesus, there's going to be trouble. And in light of our adoption and the benefits of our position, it seems a very small thing to have hardship on Christ's account. It feels really unseemly that uh, we should be rewarded at all, considering that it's the Holy Spirit's work in us accomplishing anything good. And yet, this is just another revelation of God's goodness and His graciousness in that uh, He allows us to be co-heirs with Christ, share in Christ's sufferings, and then to bless us and glorify us for going through difficult times that He carries us through. But this is part of His nature. And that was an encouragement to Elliot. Finally, Colossians 124 Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And Again, Elizabeth Elliot knew what the Apostle Paul was saying. You know, the church represents the physical body of Jesus, and the unbelieving world just picks up with the church where it had to leave off with Christ. That's the whole idea. In other words, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and the world can no longer kill him. He's alive forevermore. And someday every true believer will be caught away with the church and the world will no longer be able to fill up the sufferings of Christ on us. But until then, until then, uh, Paul says rejoice. And there are many others that come to mind and we could spend all of our time just going from Scripture to Scripture uh, throughout the the New Testament. We won't, but just two more that are very dear to me. 2 Timothy 3.10, he says to uh, his his, uh, son in Christ and a fellow pastor, now you following my teaching... Conduct, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This instruction is very clear in the scriptures. Again, it shouldn't surprise us, as Eliot started with her, her counsel. Matthew 5:10, Jesus' words to his disciples: Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the rich teaching from the word of God on the outcome of difficulty is also very clear. Not only that we will be in it, but that the outcome of it is marvelous. Uh, we looked at a number of these places last week, the reward promised for difficult times, the purpose that God has uh, for bringing us through for character and refining that process of hardship can bring. So we won't go back over them, but in verse 10 of our passage uh, today in 2 Corinthians 4, We finished our time together last week with one of the Apostle Paul's keys to lasting ministry, and it connects to all this that we've just been talking about, and it helps along with the other things we looked at last week to keep us on course. Look at verse 10, if you would, of 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4.10, Paul says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. It's where we said goodbye last time, but... This was our next waypoint if you were keeping track it was number 12 to keep us on track for lasting ministry and a fulfilled life along with the refining process that the lord has in mind and the promise of future reward and glory which the lord has promised to those who go through the difficult times Um, we are to use difficult times as a way to make jesus visible to others and so it just adds to that opportunity for us as we go through hardship that we don't do it like the world does it that we do it differently and paul's given us a bunch of things from his own heart this is how i keep on course in the course of my life and the difficult times i've suffered but there's a refining process going on there's a promise of future reward and then we just make jesus visible to others as we go through it differently uh, we are afflicted just like the world is we're squeezed uh, from every side in every way paul says but we're not crushed uh, we're perplexed we're not sure which way to go sometimes we don't know what the next step may be uh, but we're not despairing because we know there is one uh, whether we're persecuted, and we looked at all those illustrations already, but not forsaken. Instead, not just not forsaken, not has, the Lord not, not has the Lord turned his back on us. He hasn't done that at all. Indeed, we're blessed, and we look forward to hope of a wonderful future when we're persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' own words. And so, whether we're afflicted, whether we're perplexed, whether we're persecuted, whether we're struck down, We've been uncomfortably humbled. That's the idea there. Placed in a position we didn't imagine we'd be in. Kind of looking around thinking, why am I here when I thought I should be over there or up here? But not destroyed. Not only are we, and that destroyed is useless. Not only are we not useless, God may now have us in the precise place he needs us to be in order to use us for his glory. Or to prepare us for whatever he has prepared for us to do. So humbling times, difficult times. Hardship, squeezing, all those things have many purposes the Lord has designed, but one of the things you can know for sure is that it's not accidental, it didn't slip by the gate, the Lord has his purposes in it. And so I don't think we can can come through any of those passages and not come down in that area somewhere. And we're frail and we hold these wonderful truths in an earthen vessel and the power of God is one. Uh, is the one accomplishing anything good and so you know when we come out of the end we realize that if anything good happened in this frail vessel where we hold this marvelous truth uh, in the midst of the difficult times and hardship which doesn't seem like we should survive but we do and God brings us out and anything good that happens is him see remember when we looked at a number of months ago uh, a key to being useful to God is being what inadequate realizing you're not adequate in your flesh to do anything for the eternal kingdom it's the Lord being uh, at work through you and he does that through these difficult times Now, look at verse 11 if you would we'll move on in our passage as we go verse by verse through this section 2nd Corinthians four eleven: for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus's sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh now it sounds like he's just repeating himself from verse 10 but he's really not it's it's significantly different and let's look at those those points so verse 10 says always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus So the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. In other words, going through the difficult times, going through the hardships, the world picking up with us where it left off with him, that kind of thing, makes Jesus visible when we bear it as we should. But then this next one, it says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. And there's some key words there that we'll look at. It's our next key to lasting ministry and a fulfilled life. uh, It's not just managing difficult times that make Jesus clear to others, but this 13th one, uh, your death can be a vehicle that Jesus uses as a witness for the gospel. This was Paul's reality. So, every day it seemed was a day where death seemed to be imminent for Paul. Uh, in the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 36, which I have there on the screen behind me, as it's written, for thy sake, speaking of the Lord, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It, this is not just unique in early Christianity. Hundreds of thousands of believers each day could make the statement that we see in 2 Corinthians 4.11, we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Uh, Thousands and hundreds of thousands, see, believers from North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, and Sudan. That's the top six most dangerous places to live in the world. So to be a believer and live there puts you in the most danger. Perhaps you heard On February 1st, Pastor Toon Nu, a missionary with Gospel for Asia in uh, Myanmar's Raikang province, had been kidnapped on January 19th. He was killed by his captors. It was just a couple of days ago. This is the country of Burma, the same one where Adoniram Johnson ministered. Uh, Myanmar's Raikang state is a place where there's open conflict. You've seen it on the news over and over again. What you have there is you have Buddhists who make up the majority and an ethnic minority of Muslims called the Rohingya. Pastor Nu was 41 years old, married father of three, pastor of a church of over 50 believers there in that area. He was captured by a rogue military patrol along with a number of other believers. Now, can you imagine ministering among Buddhists and Muslims on a day-to-day basis who are at war with one another and certainly at war with you? Would it be safe to say that Pastor Nu and those who serve In that region could say each day, we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. K.P. Johannan, who is the founder of Gospel for Asia, said this week, quote, all our brothers and sisters on the field know that, as Jesus said, they go out as sheep among wolves, like Pastor Toon. They are constantly laying down their lives to share the, God, the God's great love with those who have not yet heard the good news, end quote. And that appears to be precisely Paul's meaning, uh, happening now. He is delivered over to death each day, and each day that he comes back home shows there's, mark this beloved, no power on earth greater than God's will for his life. That's what it means when in my mortal flesh as long as he continues to breathe it just shows that god is sovereign in all these things and even in laying uh, really presenting himself in such a way that um, they're constantly being delivered over to death for jesus sake every day that he lived paul that was paul's life these uh, uh, fellow saints who live in Myanmar, they're constantly being delivered over to death for jesus sake so that the life of jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh every day you come home and every day that you do that and then come home again, your life is being manifest. Jesus' life is being manifest. So Paul says, you know, Jesus put his, uh, put, life is put on display in our mortal flesh, the fact that this physical body is still breathing. And someday, you know, as you understand this, of course, uh, physical death will come, as it did to Pastor Tune, and, and, and Jesus' life will continue to be made clear, and others will will do the same thing. And many times Paul said that the sentence of death was within him. Uh, I'm reminded of Second Corinthians one eight, And that could, this could be the experience that, that Paul is speaking of and drawing on as he explained how he could stay on course and say we do not lose heart he says in verse 8 he says we do not want you to be unaware brethren of our affliction that's our word flips us. that's the pressing pressure of our affliction which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life indeed we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead First in, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we've set our hope, and he will yet deliver us, you also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. And you remember that passage, you looked at it quite a few, uh, maybe a year ago, more than a year ago, but Paul says, I want you to know that this is what it's like to be delivered over to death each day. And these are very familiar terms for us in our current study. He says that we were burdened excessively. Paul, Paul says we were pressed down, hyperbole, excessively. That's that word, hyperbole. It's where we get our hyperbole, overstating something. But Paul's not overstating. He's just saying this is an incredible pressure on us. We were pressed down excessively. That Word, o, aorist, passive, indicative. We're under some squeezing. Uh, a, a greater weight than we've ever felt before, Paul says. Excessively pushed. And then he says it's beyond our strength. Whatever kind of physical capability that Paul had, um, this was beyond it, and, and men can endure a lot. And certainly we have seen examples of that throughout history. Uh, dramas like Hacksaw Ridge and, and Unbroken give us an idea of the resilience of people. Difficult times that people have gone to, had to go through. Last week was Holocaust Remembrance uh, Week. We remember uh, the difficult times that and the horrible conditions that men and women found themselves in, and they can endure a lot. Paul says, you know, this exceeded, who per se prefects, our strength, and then he says, uh, so that we despaired uh, even of life. Literally, we stood in doubt, aorist, passive, infinitive. In other words, because it was beyond our strength, we knew literally there was no way out. It didn't appear that we were going to live through it, Paul says. Perhaps uh, the pastor there in Manamar and those who were with him, perhaps they felt that being held captive. We perceived, Paul says, that there was no exit. Paul, with all of his strength and all of his experience, said, you know, mentally we were, we were exhausted. Physically, we were overpowered. We only saw one way this was going to end. And it just goes without saying, you know, that if each day you're constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, then it can look bleak. Not minimizing that in any way, That is a difficult place. We don't understand it, perhaps, as well as we should because of where we live. Here, the Apostle Paul, inarguably a godly man, uh, a a man who walked with the Lord, so this wasn't a time of of chastening on Paul, a difficult time for Paul because of sin in his life. This is the place the Lord wanted him to be and to daily go through that. And he was brought through a pressing pressure beyond what he had experienced before, and and he's honest and says it's beyond my strength. And, And I thought it would end in death, but what we don't see here, and this is very important, is Paul shaking his fist at the Lord. We don't see Paul calling the Lord's discretion into question, do we? Why me, Lord? Why do I have to go through this? Why is it it being difficult for me? Paul goes on uh, in an even more transparent statement It says, indeed, uh, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. In other words, uh, apokarima, that's that's used for official report. We had the official report, uh, the official decision. Paul only uses this word one time in all of his letters and he uses it right here. So in other words, it wasn't Just Paul and whoever's with him imagining that they were going to die. It's delivered over to death each day that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal bodies. That looks like a sentence within ourselves. That's what Paul says. Perfect active indicative. Holding on to something. We had this. And this is what we had to hold on to, this sentence of death for us. I'm holding on inside myself the official sentence of my own death. He knew that was the lowest point. He was going to be killed for the gospel's sake, and this was it. He was sure it was over. And, and there wasn't anything Paul could do in his flesh to change that circumstance. We saw that Paul knows he holds the treasure of the gospel in an earthen, common, frail vessel. He's, he's aware of his own inability. And I think we can safely say that God brings us to that place for that very purpose. Assimilate you know, that observation from Paul's life, will you, for a minute? And, and don't forget, you know, that the Lord brings you to that place for that very purpose. That that sentence is there, and the only thing you can rely on is the Lord. See, and and don't forget, Paul had been brought to this point, and we'll get there in a moment. Remember what we learned earlier uh, a number of years ago. My sufferings are for me and for you, and your sufferings are for you and for me, right? Because that's that mutual burden bearing that we have, and we're comforted. And how we're comforted, we comfort other people. And however you're comforted, you learn to comfort me that way, see? And we work with each other that way. And that was the sentence that Paul lived with, see, and he's going to die for the cause of Christ, and, and why would God put Paul and us there? Well, you know, sometimes, we'll look at verse 9, so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. And that first part is such a simple but profound statement, or in our current passage, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. If we're delivered, the Lord has made clear, See? We're not going to trust in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. And how much comfort would that provide to others? And that's the reason why he's writing it, see? And many of you have gone through difficult times. You've brought comfort to other people. You've realized that, that pressing pressure that was on you, which made you a proven vessel and gave you more hope, and you looked forward to that future, and you bring that, that comfort you received, and you bring it, and you encourage someone else, and you helped to bring them through it, see? And Paul provided comfort to the church with this, and he's still providing comfort to the church now. I mean, K.P. Johannan quoted some of the passages, Elizabeth Elliot, I mean, it still provides hope all through the ages, because it's precisely the way the Lord uh, uses his, uh, those who call on him to make Christ manifest. And so when Paul says God took us to a place where we had no escape, we had no physical ability, we had no way to figure it out intellectually, no way to deal with it emotionally, uh, no one could come and bail us out, That's exactly where God wanted us. And then Paul, in the middle of this most pressing hardship, says in verse 10, I love this, he says, who delivered us from so great a peril of death. So we came through that one. He delivered us through it. And I'm sure many missionaries today will get to the end of their day and come home to their home and say, the Lord delivered us through that peril of death today. There'll be many in that early rain church in China, perhaps, that will say that, and all across the world in the countries that we just named, people getting together as believers worship the Lord. Um, they'll say, delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we've set our hope, he will yet deliver us. And there's no trial beyond God's ability to strengthen and to comfort and accomplish all his will for believers, see. And we see this over and over again in Paul's life. This is Paul's confidence in God's ability. It is the way he keeps on course. He's being very transparent here. This is how you're going to get through this. I'm just going to share, to you, uh, share with you, he says, the way that I have understood uh, God's processes. See, his experience tells him he doesn't lose heart, even in the middle of all this. See, he delivered us, he will deliver us, and he will yet deliver us. So he delivered us from this one, he will deliver us from the next one perhaps, and there's this sense in which Paul says, and he will yet deliver us, that he's referring to a future final deliverance. At some point, the trials will be all over and the Lord will deliver us out of them and they'll never be anymore. See? And so we look forward to that in hope, and we look forward to the joy and the reward and the glory that will be part of going through those things and coming out on the other side, being a vessel of tried worth with, with a perseverance and hope, and that hope doesn't disappoint. See, you're not going to get through all the trials and, and do them like the Lord wanted, and then you're going to finally someday be delivered to the Lord, and you're not going to look back and say, man, that really was not worth it. Paul says that's never going to happen. Hope doesn't disappoint. Paul says, he on whom we have set our hope. And endurance, proven character, proven character, hope, the traits God wants from those who are his. Endurance, proven character, hope. We say that over and over again. He wants those character traits in the lives of those who belong to him. Endurance, how do we we increase endurance? Endurance. All you athletes you know how this works right pushing yourself beyond your limit over and over again finding out where the line is and continue to pushing the line what's endurance look like in the spiritual in the spiritual realm the lord taking us through difficult times and we trust him through it we don't impugn his character we're not looking at him and shaking our fists and saying why me again none of that see have an opportunity to go through trust the lord realizing he has a purpose that we may not understand but he's bringing us through and he's going to get us all the way through and deliver us through and someday he's going to deliver us permanently from it but in the meantime what's he want endurance and through endurance comes proven character a vessel of tried worth so you're, you're the type of vessel that he can use and that produces hope paul says we have set our hope on him and guess what believer That is exactly what he wants, both now and in eternity. Mark that. We have set our hope on him. He wants that in your life. That is that final outcome, that hope thing. He wants that now and for all eternity. Is that where you've set your hope? We've set our hope on him. He doesn't want us to trust in ourselves. And when we're in those points, We're a people of proven worth. And then finally, he says in verse 11, you also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. And I could have stopped before because our illustration really is over there. But what's that mean? Well, Paul was delivered over to death, and it resulted in making Jesus very apparent And many were able to give thanks to God for their salvation as a result of that, and I think that's an important point that we don't want to miss as we move back to our our passage. And just as a footnote before we go back to 2 Corinthians 4, there is an important point of watch care here among believers that's called uh, into play. Uh, Paul says, you've shared in my suffering, you've shared in my constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, you've shared in me taking on uh, the sentence of death, in the open door, yeah, there's, a, there's this burden of prayer, and the open door website has a marvelous illustration of this in In modern times. They give five ways to pray, and, and this is because Paul's talking about prayer, because we've been talking about uh, missions, we've been talking about difficult times, and we just saw behind us, uh, our, some of our missionaries are coming home after 20 years in Japan, and we put that up there while we're worshiping and giving so that you can pray, I hope that you did. I hope you brought those requests before the Lord while you're sitting there quietly preparing to to uh, get into the Word. But that's why it's there. But prayer is a very important thing, and, and the Open Door website says, and this is really just right along with what Paul is explaining happened in verse 11, um, those who are constantly under the sentence of death, they give five ways you can pray for those who are the persecuted church. And here, here they are, and I'll put them up for you. You can copy them down in your notes if you'd like. I'll leave them long enough so you can jot, jot them down. Number one, pray that whatever their circumstances... God will give persecuted Christians the right words. You know, its I'll just be honest. It's not enough to say, Lord, we we lift up the persecuted church. The persecuted church has needs, and they have names. And so this open-door website gives you the way to pray specifically for them. In Ephesians uh, 6, 19 and 20, Paul asks fellow believers to pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, which means what? there's a chance for him to be afraid. And the fear of man brings a a snare. So as long as you're worried about what people are going to say, and what people think about you, you're going to have a very difficult time sharing your faith. And if you boil it right on down, every time you get that opportunity, that perhaps makes a big play, doesn't it? The fear of man brings a snare. And you're uh, get an opportunity to speak on christ's behalf and you don't because you're worried about somebody what somebody's going to say paul says listen pray for me that that whenever i open my mouth words may be given to me so that i will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains pray that i may declare it fearlessly as i should that's the first thing you can say pray that whoever uh, whatever their circumstances god will give persecuted christians the right words uh, number two pray that persecuted christians will understand and find peace in the sufficiency of god's grace even in their weakness What do you mean? Well, facing physical threat, especially Christians, uh, may be put into scenarios where they must make instantaneous choices under great pressure. We don't live in a country that's like that, but if if people stormed in and put the gun to your head and said, um, are you a believer? What would you say? See, it's 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 hard to make that announcement right now, isn't it? Because you don't know the fear that that would cast and all the things that the ripple effect of you being taken away would be for your family. So... Realize that persecuted Christians are put in that situation on a regular basis. How does that impact you? See? Well, we can pray that persecuted Christians will understand and find peace in God's sufficiency, even in their weakness, because they have to make decisions and instantaneously, see, under great pressure. So we pray for the persecuted church to understand the promises of 2 Corinthians 12 9, which says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest on me. we said that over and over, I'm looking forward to really breaking that down when we get there. But we can pray that way, see. Number three, open door website says, Pray that Christians facing hardship will draw from a source of power larger than themselves. Seems easy enough to say when we're here, just draw on the power of the Lord, but we're still talking about people, aren't we? Still talking about individuals made of flesh, weak, frail, earthen vessels. Still has to work through, well, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, at work through a volitional desire to actually do this. See. While facing physical threats, especially Christians may be put into scenarios where you know, they have to make very hard decisions, often uh, battle against government accusers that don't provide them with a the right to a fair trial or a representation that is much more prevalent in the Western world than it is there. They have no control over their lives, their own health, their own safety, the safety of their family. You have no control over any of those things. And because of this, it's critical to pray that believers in trying circumstances are able to see, you know, like Paul, that their hardship helps them rely on a God who is far more powerful than they are. A passage we just read just a minute ago. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And believers go through that, and you can pray specifically for that. This was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Next one, pray that persecuted Christians would serve God, uh, w- would sense, rather, God's presence in their hardship. That he's there protecting them according to his will. Matthew twenty six thirty nine. Jesus himself faced an unjust trial. Even he prayed to God at that point. Do you remember Jesus' uh, prayer in the garden? My Father, if it's possible, let this what? This cup pass from me? It's not wrong to pray, Lord, help me not to have to go through this difficult trial. But then what did Jesus say? Even so, what? Thy will be done, right? So the first part of the prayer really inspires us to ask God to deliver persecuted Christians from harm. And at the same time, the second part of Jesus' prayer goes hand in hand with praying this request, yet not my will, but yours be done. Part of the prayer can be that God will deliver Christians from chains as he did for Peter in Acts 12, but also pray that, that uh, in such a way that, he, it, that uh, he'll intervene and strengthen those and, and they'll feel his presence. Pray their witness would inspire those who seek to harm them. Luke 6, 27, the apostle said, but I say to you who hear Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. When Christians are able to maintain perspective like that, their actions are often noticed by those who persecute them. In the case of Paul and Silas in Acts 16.25, their behavior as they were praying and singing praise in the face of hardship, they were observed by their jailers and other prisoners in acting out of faith despite their circumstances. And so we can pray that Persecuted believers have that kind of resolve that in the face of their persecutors and the difficult times that they're in, that in an opportune moment, they'll be able to be effective in ministering the correct words to those who harm them. And Acts 16.34 says, the jailer and those that were around came and his family came to believe. So there's this prayer burden uh, that's on us For those who are in difficult times, we have opportunity right now for those who are in our midst to pray and bear burdens of one another in prayer, other burdens, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2 says. In fact, we could say with Paul here, this sums up the one another's. We talk about one another's a lot in the church class. We talk about it a lot here. Anytime you see one another, realize that's your job and my job to do the one another's to one another. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So you bear somebody's burden. You, you bring the, their, their burdens of uh, difficult times to the Lord in prayer. You go and minister to them. You have fulfilled the law of Christ, okay? You want to know how can I get involved? There's your first step. Just find somebody and bear their burdens. Find somebody and help them. Find somebody and pray for them. Think about our missionaries who are on the field and hard daily, uh, delivering up their bodies to death, and pray those prayers for them. You're bearing burdens, okay? Eyes off yourself, eyes on someone else, eyes on uh, what they're going through, and bring them before the Lord in prayer. And share in their sufferings and share in their difficult times and bring them before the Father in prayer because that place is human Impotence at the feet of, of the sovereignty of God, and they're praying for God's purposes to be done. They're praying for endurance. They're pray, praying for proven character, and they're praying that Jesus will be made clear in difficult times. You know, pray those prayers. Things that we're learning, you can pray that for them, that you know, in the in the trial, Jesus is made clear, in the pressing pressure, that the gospel is clear that's what we want for ourselves right and whatever the hardship is whatever the difficult time is we want to make sure the gospel's clear we're bearing it not like the world does shaking a fist you know why does this happen why is god like this how can He's so mean why oh why oh me see instead of that it's lord help me to make christ clear in the middle of the difficult times i don't i don't know why i don't know why they're here okay i'm not sure why the they took on the nature that they did in your life or in mine see it's impossible for us to know why they took on a certain character, why it was physical or why it was financial or why it was, why it was um, a hardship with another person, why it was disappointment, wh- whatever it was. See, I don't, I don't know why it took on that nature. All I know is that we have some purpose in it, and that is to make the gospel clear. See, Jesus manifest in our difficult times. And then to come through perseverance, endurance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And catch this as a footnote, and all of that, see, no one's calling on the Lord's motives, no one's calling on the methods in question, no one's impugning the Lord's character, no one's saying all these things are against me and you, see. Paul just says God's going to do what he's going to do, but he's going to do it in concert with your prayers, see. This is an important ministry of prayer for one another that needs to happen in the church, the whole body of Christ worldwide, see. Now you know about this church in Manama, are you you can be praying for them in the way we just talked about. Now look at verse 12 of our passage, 2 Corinthians 4.12. We're going to get back to this section then we'll close up in just a minute. So verse 11 says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We understand that. And verse 12 says, so death works in us but life in you. And that's number 14, if you're keeping track, keys to lasting ministry and a fulfilled life. Lasting ministry is a ministry of giving up your life. And that's just obvious, isn't it? I mean, true ministry is really giving your life on behalf of someone else. It may not be physically laying down in front of them. It may not be standing between them and a firing squad. It's, be- it's just basically giving up your life for the sake of the gospel, see? Fulfilled life is the life you give up for the cross. That's the life that will bear the fruit of the gospel. We're invested in each other on a life basis. And to be the church class, you, you hear that. It's not just coming on Sunday and on Wednesday and kind of doing our thing and splitting. We're invested in one another on a life basis, we want to know what's going on. That's why we have many fellowship opportunities. So you can know what's going on with one another and you can be ministering and bearing burdens. See? Lasting ministry is a ministry of giving up your life. That's that's what ministry is about. And when you mark that waypoint, beloved, that key to keeping you on course, people will reap the fruit of your difficulties for Christ's sake, as you're making him visible, and they'll encourage you along the way to help you have endurance. And people will reap the fruit of your hardship for the gospel, and people will reap the fruit even of your death. Whatever, whenever that occurs, they'll reap the fruit of a life invested for eternity. See? This is Paul's recurring ministry model. We see it over and over again. We see it illustrated in Philippians 2.17. It says this. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you. Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. You know, he's being poured out as a drink offering for the establishment of the new church. And beloved, he was overjoyed to do it. He, his, his investment was a life investment. Over the course of his life, ministry was the main focus. See? I mean, you know, you have to take care of your family. I know you have to provide for the needs. But he says I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He's establishing the church. He's overjoyed to do it. And, and I urge you, Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. In other words, be able to rejoice in the same way. Let your life be poured out as a drink offering before the Lord. There's a couple of things, a couple of illustrations that I want to I close up today. We started this morning speaking about Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you are familiar with her. Perhaps some are not. She was the wife of one of the five missionaries who, on January 8, 1956, they landed on a small beach on the Curaray River in the jungles of Ecuador. Their names were Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, and Roger Yoderin. This was their second contact with these Indians. The first had been made two days earlier, and the Yaka Indians had been cautious but friendly. This time, however, the Yaka's attacked the missionaries without warning. All five of them were killed. They were speared to death, and their plane was destroyed. News of the slayings shocked the world, but it caused Christians to earnestly pray and, uh, for the needy tribe and for the other missionaries who now took up the task of reaching them. Other missionaries, including the widows of some of the men who died, did reach the Akas. Gradually, they realized that the white men had come to help them and began to listen to the gospel, the good news, of God's love. Since that time, in fact, within about 15 years of that time, the majority of the Ake tribe had turned to Christ, including five of the men who had killed the missionaries. Two of those men became ministers of the gospel in their tribe. They actually became pastors. Mark this, beloved. In 1966, those two guys baptized two of Nate Saint's children in the Curare River At the very place where they had slain the missionaries 10 years before. And I ask you this do you think that Nate Saint and Ed McCauley and Pete Fleming and Jim Elliott and Roger Yoderin could say with Paul, Death works in me, but life in you? To the Aka Indians? I would say so, wouldn't you? Seven years before his death on the banks of the Curray River, Jim Elliott penned these words while they were still in the United States in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He already decided that that was going to be his life, that his life was going to be poured out for the gospel. He didn't know, of course, and probably wouldn't have chosen to be speared to death on the banks of the Curray River in 1956, but that's where the Lord had brought him. That's what happened. But death worked in him, but what worked in the Aka Indians? Life, see. You may not know, though, about 13 years before the martyrdom of Jim Elliott and his friends by the Aka Indians in Ecuador, five members of New Tribes Mission, now Ethnos 360, <coughs> laid down their lives while trying to reach the Aori tribe of Bolivia. These men were Cecil Dye, Bob Dye, Dave Bacon, George Hosback, and Eldon Hunter. You may not know this story because the world was caught up in World War II and so those men's sacrifices didn't gain much attention from men but they had heaven's attention. The book God Planted Five Seeds written by Jean Dye is a book you should read. She's a widow of one of the five martyrs. Not only tells the story of their deaths, it tells the story of how death worked in those men but life worked in the Aori people. The book tells about how one of the tribesmen who had participated in the death of the missionaries had come to faith. And in the tribe, he learned of a meeting in a Bolivian town, and he begged Jean and the others for an opportunity to go and speak at the meeting. The book documents the words he said, quote, Here I am, he began in understandable Spanish. A Barbaro that has come from the jungles to tell you people who are civilized about Jesus Christ, God's word is written in your language so that you can clearly understand it. And yet, you don't receive it. We haven't known the gospel very long, yet what I do know, I want to share with you of this wonderful truth. And then in a few sentences, this young man, Akari, urged them to believe that Christ died to save them from their sins. And Jean writes this in the book, quote, you could have heard a pin drop in the audience. A believing woman sat there that afternoon and cried, and in the evening, she brought others out to the meeting that had been scheduled and asked if Akari would tell it again Quote, I want these people to hear the most amazing story I've ever heard, she explained. So, death works in us, but life in you. It really sums up what it looks like to do ministry. Death, sanatos, separation of soul and body, inner present tense, middle voice, indicative mood. By doing what I'm doing, Paul says, I'm actively participating in my physical demise. I mean, over the course of time, my life will expire, perhaps early, perhaps St. Paul says, this is my reality. I'm more than okay with it because of the result. What is it? Life. The result is life. True life, real life is a result. Same word we see of Jesus in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they might have. Same word, Life. And have it abundantly. The sacrifices of lasting ministry have uh, their fruit, life, and that life is a life beyond measure. That's what it means, abundantly beyond measure, beyond counting the cost. Let's see, that doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, Paul would never ever be the explanation for the impact of his ministry, would he? We hold this marvelous truth in earthen and vessels, and Paul can't be the explanation for the success of the ministry, can he? I mean, you can't explain how God used him looking at him with worldly understanding. You know, at the end of his life, he was battered and bruised and beaten and weak and powerless and persecuted, very limited uh, impact from a worldly point of view. At the end of his life, he was really a shadow of his physical self. He, he's not the explanation of the effect, is he? Can't be. Uh, were those, Nate Saint and those, were they the explanation of the effect? There's no, no possible way. Uh, their ministry was terminated two days into it. So they can't be the explanation, right? And God planted five seeds. Those guys can't be the explanation for it, can they? Can't explain how God used them, looking at them with a worldly understanding. The only thing that makes sense is, is that God's at work through this common vessel, constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Paul says, it's my heart. This is how it's going to work. All those who name the name of Christ will suffer for his sake. Difficult times will come to purify you, to provide perseverance for you, and proven character, proven character, hope. So he can have you right where he wants you. You will be knocked down to a lower position by humility just to find that you've been made into the correct vessel. Now you can be used. These are the things that are keys for Paul, keys for us. Let's begin to assimilate those, beloved. Think about, think about the, your life. Think about the difficult times you've had in your past. Let's begin to learn the lessons the Lord wants us to learn be in the right place that he wants us to be so we can be used for, of him for eternity, not just for temporary. That's our prayer today. It was bound to be dismissed. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to magnify your goodness, to... Talk about Jesus at the beginning. If all of you is all I need, take everything. That's our prayer. Change me like only you can. Father, we see the Apostle Paul. He's asked us to follow in his life and his ministry, follow him as he follows Christ. We see the difficult times come. We don't desire them. We pray that we can be delivered uh, around them or through them. Undoubtedly, though, Maybe even this week, we've had hardship and disappointment, been let down. Perhaps things didn't be weren't accomplished as we thought they were or would be accomplished as we thought they would be. Perhaps uh, we've been uh, discovered we have a health issue, perhaps a financial issue. We're not sure what's going to happen. We don't know where to put our foot next, but we do know that you have the plan. And so, Lord, I pray that you begin to in our own heart and purify us by your word. Help us to understand these things. That we might stand in that wonderful throng sometime in the future of all those who've gone before. And we won't have to be ashamed because we learned the lessons that you wanted us to learn. And in our wonderful nation, established on the principles of your word, we have opportunity to be very effective in ministry, both here and overseas. We are glad that you've put us here, no doubt. We're, uh, we're glad for the opportunity. Help us to be salt and light where we are, not afraid of men that brings a snare, not afraid of the pur- purifying of character that comes through hardship, but instead looking forward to being a vessel of tried worth, useful for you as we give our lives away for the ministry. Thank you for the jobs you provided for us, opportunities to, to take care of our families. We're grateful for all those things, and we give you praise. They are from you. Uh, the fact that we're comfortable, those things can, uh, are all part of uh, our praise to you. You certainly told Timothy and Second Timothy, you know, let those who are rich in this world be thankful and be generous and ready to share. There's no, there's no indictment on having things, just a guide on how to use them. So we thank you, Father, that you give us everything we need to be perfected, that you provided an opportunity for us to be sanctified through your word. Help us to know what it says, know what it means by what it says, and then apply it. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus and all God's people said, amen.